Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. I'm Carol. And I'm David. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. And you know, David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know, we love talking about sex and sexuality, sexual pleasure, communication, consent, respect, relationships, and a whole lot of marriage today. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because... Well, great sex matters. And we all deserve it. So, are you contemplating a new marriage, struggling with your current marriage, in a relationship, wondering why relationships are so hard, and asking yourself, is marriage right for you? On today's show, we're going to be talking about why people get married, even though 50% of marriages fail, and how love, romance, and sex affect your marriage. We're going to talk about sex? Mm-hmm. I love talking Just a about little, sex. Just a little, or a lot. <laughs> but first, let's talk about our top waterproof blanket, because great sex is messy sex, and nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. And if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, and you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets from messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new and you don't have to leave the house to get one simply and safely go to amazon and order yours today search top waterproof blanket that's t-o-p waterproof blanket Great sex starts now. It sure does, and so does today's super special show. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we have a mega guest on the line from California. Comedic writer and award-winning documentarian, Roger Nygaard is known for some of his films like Trekkies and Suckers, and also for some of his great work that he's done on shows like The Bernie Mac Show, The Office, Veep, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and now his new film, The Truth About Marriage. Wow, I think I'm going to just sit here and listen because I am a Trekkie at heart and I've seen a whole bunch of his stuff, but um, you know, the the movie he did, The Truth About Marriage, really is close to us, you know, being second marriages. Your ex-husband married my ex-wife, mm-hmm. which is a whole other story that we can get into another day. But let's welcome Roger to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thank you so much for being here and, and taking time out of your day. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Yay, that's great. Uh, and so, Roger, you're out in California, and you have just made this movie, The Truth About Marriage. But we're going to start by talking a little bit about you. We're going to get into the movie soon. Uh, so much has happened lately with COVID out there. Tell us a little bit about how your life, your sex life, and perhaps some relationships have changed in 2020. Well, obviously, it's a crazy year, and we're all adjusting to a completely different circumstances, and it's put a completely different spin on dating because you can't just go on a date like you used to you there's a whole new protocol yeah and that changes things and then it's put a whole new pressure on relationships how do you hold a relationship together when you are forced to be with somebody 24 7 when before you i mean we had off the work you we have different lives but i think they're loosening up in some places more than others but it's still uh, it, it's a challenge to be faced with somebody all the time and it forces all of the truths out into the open. <laughs> and sometimes uh, those are ugly in, truths. <laughs> yeah, well, and what do you do about it? I mean, we we haven't even, uh, you know, we're going right de- deep right from the beginning, which is great because one of the things I did is I asked all my experts in the, my documentary, The Truth About Marriage, for advice for people, how do you handle something like 2020 in this new environment? And they had very specific suggestions. And I'll tell you what they told me. Sure. They said that, number one, the number one thing couples should do is ban criticism during this period. Because that's the worst, uh, the, the most uh, difficult thing to recover from when your partner is critical of you. And so, I mean, it's, of course, it can be justified sometimes, but right now is not the time to be critical. And the second thing they said was, 
don't try to use this as an opportunity to fix your relationship because you're not thinking like you would normally and things are going to revert to more normal time at some point and that's the time to work on relationships right now you want to work on getting through this very stressful time. So those were their top two tips. No, that is really good advice from those experts that you were talking to. And it's such a difficult time. And marriage is one of those things, which of course, we're going to find out by the end of the movie, once you watch the movie, what marriage is all about. But my question is, what made you take on such a huge topic as marriage? Well, I take on topics that obsess me. All my films are generally about things that I'm personally obsessed with. And it's a way for me to work it out, to exercise that demon. It's a catharsis. For example, my prior documentary is called The Nature of Existence. And I have been obsessed with existentialism since I can remember. I I really discovered it in college. And what is existentialism? It's asking the question, why do I exist? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why why is, is everything so difficult? Whatever. And I set out to solve that question to answer that question for myself and I brought my cameras and I found out experts found experts all around the world for representing each of the major belief systems from Buddhism Jainism in the East to Christianity or atheists or everyone uh, Confucianists in China and I interrogated them all and asked them the same questions so I could solve this for myself And I I came to a place and understanding of what my purpose is in the world by doing so. And then you come along and you get to watch and you get to learn what I learn as I make the documentary. My new documentary, my core question was, why are relationships so hard for people? Or why why is marriage so difficult? And if you take the typical metric that half of marriages are a failure because they don't last forever – and I, I'm, first of all, I don't think it's a failure. I think I think a three-year marriage is a three-year success, or a seven-year marriage is a seven-year success. But our our culture looks at it as a failure. And so, why is it that half of marriages are cultural failures? So I set out to solve this problem for myself because I feel like a failure. My relationships have failed. I've been in love, and I imagine myself married to someone, and we're, we're moving in that direction, and suddenly disaster. It's over. Three times uh, I felt like I felt the the way I knew it was love is because it was so painful (laughs) when it was over. (laughs) So it's me exercising this demon, trying to solve the question: How can I have a better relationship? How can I have? How can I relate to someone better in such a way that I can get to the altar and 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 have a soulmate? Does one even exist? And so that's what I do. Very, very cool. Um, it's it's so it's so weird hearing you talk about what I feel are serious topics, which is you know marriage and existentialism and, and all that stuff. When you've had such an amazing career in comedy, you know, doing shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm and Veep and The Office and the Bernie Mac Show, how do you do? You have like different personalities. <laughs> well. What is funny, right? That's a question of how to look for something funny. How do you decide what's funny? As an editor of a show like Curb Your Enthusiasm, you watch what I think is funny, the show. I get to choose the takes that I think are the funniest. And I think that the more serious a topic gets, the more fertile the ground is for humor. Hmm. There's nothing funnier or more serious than death. We're all afraid of death. And so there's so many jokes about dying and death and how people die. And it's how we deal with serious topics. If you don't laugh, you go insane. Yeah. And it's because we have a frontal lobe. We have the we have the ability to understand that someday I'm not going to be here and because we can understand the concept of time. Other animals don't understand. They're all the moment except maybe uh, dolphins and elephants and a few uh, a few species probably can't comprehend the idea, but mostly they're living in the moment, but we're not. So as soon as you know, well, I used to be not here, and I was born, and then someday I'll be gone, and now I feel really anxious. What am I going to do about it? And and one of the ways we deal with that is humor, and I mix those two. Generally, all my documentaries are comedies with concepts that that fascinate me, it, it, and so it's a it's a line I walk in trying to mix those two together. Now, so. 
uh, in your documentary that you just put out that we found it very lighthearted and of course it's still a serious topic but now that you say that because I mean you're the one who picked which pieces would go into your documentary so I'm not going to give it away but of course there are some very interesting guests that you have that you interview yeah we're going to talk about Don Blanquito in a second (laughs) and they are funny so I'm I'm glad you've actually mentioned that that's true a lot of what you put together is actually uh, very comedic in in its uh, soul in its in its grounds so Roger how long did it take you to do this whole project this one took me seven years and in order to get to the finish line on a seven-year project you've got to be obsessed with the topic (laughs) and I certainly was and And sex is a big part relationships and as you see in the documentary it's a big part of the of the documentary it's a big it's one of the questions I ask people you know how important is sex to marriage and how often do they have sex and, and how it, how do they deal with the loss of passion etc and uh, I I'm obsessed with all these questions and so seven years of reading books talking to people collecting footage and editing my last doc only took me four years by comparison. This one took me a lot longer, and I didn't think I, I thought it would go faster, but it, it 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 turned out to be even more complex. Very cool. And we're going to get into all the sexual aspects of it in the third part of our show, which is called Great Sex Matters. But there was one point that stood out that you made um, when we watched the the film was you mentioned how many weddings you had attended and how many different types of weddings. That must have been a great experience. And how did you do that and not get fat? well everybody gets invited to weddings right if you have friends and I have friends and they invite me to weddings and so I started bringing my camera every time I got invited to a wedding because I was thinking I wonder if this couple is going to make it the odds are against them but they are so certain they're going to beat the odds and then what happens half of them are wrong so something there's a disconnect between reality and and this fantasy that we all have about relationships. This one's the right one. It's perfect. My friend Joe, who's in the film, Joe Yannetti, who I wrote a movie, this, this movie Suckers with, he's married for his third time now. And so he, he twice he thought he got it right, and he didn't. And now he's married for a third time, and now he believes again he got it right. And I think he's gotten it righter this time because he's learned a lot. As we all do, we make mistakes and we learn from them. And one thing that occurred to me as I'm sitting at weddings and I'm watching and I and then I and then I interviewing am pe- interviewing people, I thought, why is it so hard? Why don't they teach a class in high school on how to have a relationship? It's arguably the most important thing you're ever going to do in your life is have a permanent life partner, maybe sex partner, maybe business partner, and we're all making the same mistakes through trial and error. They'll teach you everything else, math and gym class and political science maybe even, but no relationship class. So we're all left to figure it out and make these mistakes. So I wanted to try to create something that, look, finally, here's some simple things anyone can do to increase the trajectory and better direction of any relationship you start. And that all came from going to weddings and and seeing this, wow, they're so certain, but they're probably wrong statistically. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Of course, we're both on our second marriages as we speak. And we're pretty sure we got it right. And we have learned a lot from our last marriages. And I really do hope we got it right. But I think one of the things that we got out of this, uh, the fact that we're in the sexuality industry and the fact that we speak to experts every single week and we learn so much, is that we have a giant toolbox to work with. We have learned so much in the last four years of doing our podcast. Not that we're the experts, but we learned from the experts that I really feel that there's nothing we can't conquer between us because we do have the tools. And that would be very good idea for relationship courses, like give you the tools in high school to make relationships last longer, at least look in the mirror and be able to see where your faults are. So I love that idea. And of course, we talk all about how they never, no one ever teaches you how to have great sex when you're in high school. They tell you don't have sex or wait till you're married or or what to do. But it's never about the pleasure and about the enjoyment enjoyment of our bodies, uh, which we're not being taught either. So we lament about that a lot on this show. And here you are uh, mentioning the same thing about marriage. And it's so true. Doesn't so- it seem obvious when you think about it? Finally, it's, it, you know, it's like that you dr- you're driving to work every day for 10 years. And one day you notice there's a diamond sitting on the edge of the road and you stop and pick it up and go, wow, this has been here for 10 years. I never noticed it. It's so obvious now. That's how I feel like with my creative work when I made the movie Trekkies. I thought, I can't believe no one's made a documentary about Star Trek fans yet. It seems so obvious, but no one's done it. And there's, that's, 
it's like <laughs> same thing with sex education. It's once you learn something, it seems wow, that's so obvious. It, you can make someone feel so much better or worse by doing this or that. How come I didn't realize it? Or no one told me. You know exactly. You know, that. and we and we talk about that that sex education all the time, and so many people go through life not having learned how to tell their partner what they like about sex, how to pro- how they want their cock sucked, how they want their pussy licked, how to have an orgasm, how to make her squirt. And, you know, we just did a show a couple of weeks ago where um, Kim and Brad from Tantric Hearts were explaining how to self-pleasure yourself and take the time to know what makes you come so you can tell your partner because how's he going to know? And in the swinging world like we are, and we're going to talk about swinging and polyamorous relationships a bit later, um, you're in it to have great sex and you're having sex with different people all the time and they only know how to pleasure their partner. So if you don't tell them what's good for you, they're going to do something that might be good for their partner is not good for you and the experience isn't going to be great. Well, you're not allowed to uh, mind read. Nobody's a mind reader. You can't expect anyone to read your mind. You have to ask for what you want. And to ask for what you want, you've got to know what you want. Mm -hmm. It seems so simple, but people don't do it. They just uh, assume, right? And if you make assumptions, you're going to have a lifelong series of disappointments or frustrations. Cut to the chase. And I love it when someone says, oh, do this or do that. And part of the the way to get someone to reveal what they want is to be non-judgmental right. and supportive of their weirdness or their strangeness or their difference or what it's like, wow. I thought of that. That's amazing. You know, it's supportiveness will bring brings out more disclosure and you learn more. I love knowing what someone likes. And so because I want to provide it. I want the person I'm with to experience an orgasm to be to experience pleasure. I want to know how to do it better. And I don't want to try to do it by trial and error. Right. <laughs> you know, is it does this hurt? I don't want to be a doctor. Just tell me. Give me the answer. I'm I'm a student. I love learning. That's a great attitude, and I wish everybody had that same attitude, so that's wonderful. Um, getting back to your movie, when we, when we saw all the, the collection of the different types of weddings you went to that you, you chose to show us on the movie, tell us a little bit about those people and how you selected them. I went to several weddings, and I filmed several weddings and interviewed uh, uh, six couples, three of which made the final cut of the film, and... They were all in the first, or my first cut was over two and a half hours, which I cut down to 80 some minutes. And when I tested it with some friends, what I discovered was that the more normal the couple was, the less interesting it was. We like to see exceptional examples of humanity. And so the three couples that remain are the more exceptional couples in some way or another in different areas of this spectrum of potential uh, ways of being certainly it's not comprehensive of all possibilities because I didn't even get into gay marriage you know I, I interviewed one um, couple that are lesbians and once I started going down that road I realized that deserves a whole movie unto itself and Absolutely. this isn't really about gay or straight or everything in between because it's about relationships between people and whether you're gay or straight people tend to look for the same things in their partner which is you're looking for an opposite. We don't look for duplicates of ourselves. We want someone who completes us, not duplicates us, whether you're gay or straight or whatever. So I found these things apply to both. And it was really more about a journey to help myself. And I'm straight. And so this was my journey and what I was learning. And so you get to learn what I learned, obviously. But I, I, I mean, I would love to do a sequel you know, the truth about gay marriage as a, as a follow-up would be for a fertile ground for its entire documentary of its own. Yeah. We can, we can do one about the life and trials and tribulations and experiences of swinger couples as well, because we live a very interesting life and everything we do in the swinging lifestyle just makes us a stronger and stronger couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did you get to that point in your life, right? The trajectory that brought you there, I bet right. is fascinating and probably full of unexpected turns. And here you are. Yeah, and that's the questions that we get asked the most is how do you get there? How do we get into this lifestyle and end up having a beautiful relationship like you guys have? People ask us that question all the time. And it, we'd have to deep uh, dive deep and figure it out ourselves because I mean, we're here and 
uh, and I know it it works for us. And but we get stronger and stronger every time we have a swinging experience. So that's a whole other. <laughs> exactly. We can do hours and hours on that. Um, before we get into Don Blanquito, I just want to ask you: of the couples that you um, interviewed, uh, did you have one that was a favorite or the most interesting? <laughs> Well, they were so different. And what was interesting to me was how unexpected each of their trajectories became from going to the wedding and wondering what would happen and then what actually did happen. It's so life is so unpredictable. You know, there's an old Woody Allen joke that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) You no one knows. You don't know what's going to happen. It's so there's so many variables in life. And the three couples that remain were all three of my favorites. I mean, one of the couples I cut out, they're, they're lovely, wonderful couple, friends of mine, and they have a wonderful life, and they were adopting, in the process of adopting a child when I interviewed them three years later after their wedding, and then she got pregnant, and they didn't think they were going to have children, and that they were going to have their own as well, and everything was wonderful. There was very little conflict or difficulty, and so there, you, you need something to hook a story in around for a documentary. So it just wasn't quite as engaging as the polyamorous couple Keto, who was the most single person I'd ever met in my life, and I could never imagine him getting married. How could he possibly get married? You know, or the, this is a friend of mine who's a screenwriter who wrote a movie called Constantine, a very successful big Hollywood movie, you know, had a, had a big Hollywood house and got himself a mail order bride essentially. He met this woman at a party at my house who was from Eastern Europe. She had just gotten to town and, and heard about this party. I threw, used to throw gigantic parties at my house once a year. Um, and t- every year I'd go, I'm never doing this again. It's too much work to clean up. And then a year goes by and I go, oh, it was a lot of fun. I'm going to do it again. And so he ended up in the hot tub with this girl and they really hit it off. And a few years later, they got married. He kept bringing her back and forth. He essentially imported her from Europe. And it was a much more of a transactional marriage. Ultimately, they both got something out of it for five years. I checked in five years later as they're getting divorced. And they were still quite good friends. In fact, they were better friends during the, after the divorce than they were during the last year of their marriage. When the divorce released their friendship back to, uh, it removed all of the impediments to their friendship. And now they could talk to each other about their different partners and lovers and dates. And, and they didn't have to, throw each other on the junk pile just because their marriage was ending. And I thought that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it, it, when it would, could be a really sad, of course, terrible, difficult time, which is divorce is for a lot of people. And so they were all a surprise, the ones who were in the movie, and, and fascinating and amazing trajectories. No, it's actually, it was very interesting. We're just going to hold that thought for a second and remind everybody that we are Carol and David, and this is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we're talking with author, filmmaker, producer, and director Roger Nygaard, all about his new documentary, The Truth About Marriage. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. So, you know, people have been asking us, what's changed after four years of doing the podcast? Well, a lot has. But to be honest, the orgasm gap still remains a challenge for many couples. You know what I'm talking about. Men tend to finish before their female partners. You've heard us talk about Promescent for years. Their urologist-developed FDA-compliant delay spray can help men last up to 64% longer without loss of sensation. And it's great because promescent is quickly absorbed into the penis and it doesn't transfer to your partner. And speaking of your partner, I think we can all agree that sometimes women, even when alone, still have challenges around reaching orgasm. So now, promescent has created a female arousal gel. I love it. It's a clitoral stimulant that she can rub into her clitoris for increased pleasure and a lot more satisfaction during pretty much any type of sexual activity that you can think of. Absolutely. So now they've got promescent delay spray for him and arousal gel for her. So basically, they're closing the orgasm gap on both sides. And remember to check out their amazing lubes as well. Yeah, trust us. Try these amazing products and you'll thank us later. Seriously, just write to us at ask at and tell us how it went. So try Promescent today. Just go to the website www.promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. Yeah, and now, and especially for a limited time, if you enter Sexy Lifestyle 15, you'll get 15% off every order. And remember, tell your friends too, that's Sexy Lifestyle 15 for 15% off. 
All right. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And now let's get back to our show talking with filmmaker Roger Nygaard as we continue our discussions about why people get married. Um, let's talk about Don Blanquito. You mentioned to him. You mentioned him earlier about being the most single person in the world. We know that he eventually got married. But how did you find this guy? Ha. Huh. I... Uh we used to go, I mean, I, I still do. I go to a lot of film festivals. Every time I finished a movie, I go to film festivals. And I had finished The Nature of Existence, and I was at a film festival in Brazil, which became my favorite country for a while until I met uh, Bali in Indonesia. Uh, but that's another story we could get into. But Brazil is an, this amazing country. It's, it's like it's a country where the, the entire country is like a house where the parents are gone. Everybody's having a good time. They're partying, you know, celebration, good, good attitudes, very open about sex, just in a completely different way of looking at things from the United States, which I found fascinating. And so did this guy I met there named Don Blanquito, who was this kid from Beverly Hills, California, who went there for Mardi Gras one year and stayed, learned to speak Portuguese learned how to rap to meet women and decided he was going to live there the rest of his life because he found the perfect place because the women are gorgeous and he loved the lifestyle. Um, I met him because he's a friend of a friend's son. I told someone, I am going to Brazil for this film festival. Oh, you should look up my friend's son. Here's his email. So, okay, sure. I met him for lunch and as a documentarian, you get a feeling immediately like, whoa, this guy needs to be on camera. So after having lunch and hanging out with him for a few days, he became my unofficial tour guide of Rio de Janeiro. I went back three months later with a camera and interviewed him in 2010. And that was my first interview for this documentary. It kind of got me going that I've got to get started. Here's my first person. And I just interviewed him and his, his super single lifestyle dating all these Brazilian women and banked that footage and then went on and continued my research and then started doing more interviews. And then many years later, as I was finishing the documentary, I checked back in and was shocked to find how, how his life had changed radically because he met the right woman. I love that story because sex is primal and we want to make families. We can't help that feeling. It's within us. It's part of our DNA that we want to make partnerships so that we can raise a family. And so he found his way. He couldn't stop himself because it's nature, I think. Anyways, I thought it was great. Absolutely. He, he was a great character in the film. And those of you who are going to watch it, you know, pay attention. You probably have to watch the clips of him two or three times <laughs> and you he's go what great the fuck rapper and you, it's just he's great and and then and then roger you had a whole bunch of experts specialists and, and and we have these on our show all the time but where did you find pat allen she is just a hoot <laughs> she is i love yeah she's so this tiny package of energy full of uh harsh yet insightful advice for people i went to one of her seminars and and uh, before, actually, before I filmed the seminar that's in the movie, I had to go and sort of audit one, and she made me one of her guinea pigs and brought me up on stage. And where she, if she brings you on stage, she asks you hard questions about your your failings and you, forces you to get real. And I, I liked that about her class. And so she's been doing classes for 35, 40 years, and they're famous, and people love them. And it's almost like a revival meeting. She, she She's fantastic. I mean, Dr. Pat Allen, she has her own book. Um, and her advice is usually she'll tell people the truth, which is really hard to hear. We don't like the truth. The truth is difficult. <laughs> we, we, we prefer the fantasy. We usually will concoct these elaborate fantasies, and which takes a lot of energy to, to maintain over time. But the truth is going to set you free. The truth is going to protect you. The truth is going to be harder at first, but in the long run, it's going to make you much happier. And still, uh, uh, she's a great dose of reality. Uh, she, but she's one of, yeah, like 35 of the experts, 40 experts I interviewed. Yeah, absolutely. We had a lot of fun with her. I love when she puts her hands to her mouth and she says, here's a little secret for you. Men are put on the earth for us. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> There's no gray area with her. It's all black and white. 
<laughs> yeah, it's all great. Yeah, well, she is right. I mean, who's the keeper of the egg? It's mm-hmm. not the man. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I noticed, realized, or discovered, uh, talking particularly to the evolutionary biologists, that what's happening on a macro level as we interact with people is mirroring what's happening on a micro level between the sperm and the egg. And what what's happening is this egg, this very choosy egg, is uh, having to choose from millions of suitors <laughs> of sperm who is the best. Well, there can only be one winner. And the egg is deciding which who is the best, who's going to be the right person. On a macro level, men court women traditionally. Men pursue women. And women put up tests to see who is the most sincere. They say, nope, try harder. Nope, try harder. More flowers, you know, better uh, attitude, whatever, until she determines, I think this guy really means it because she wants someone who's going to stick around when the baby is born and not leave her there to handle it all by herself. So it all makes sense when you look at it from a biological standpoint and compare that to the social standpoint. And that's exactly what what you learned, um, or at least your experts explained about attraction. Because although we don't realize that we're doing all this, like you said, on the micro level, what we find attractive in other people is actually biologically the right way to go. So, so Roger, what do women look for in men? Yeah, how to be more desirable. That was one of the things I wanted to consider because I want to attract someone. We all want to attract someone. My friend Steve Fromstein made a funny comment. He said, "We're all looking for somebody that's that we're, we're all looking for somebody that we don't deserve. We want someone who's a little bit better than we deserve. Certainly, someone who's better than us. The ideal relationship, apparently, is where both partners feel like they did better than they should, mm. and so you both got a good deal. That's more the most stable. But what is it about uh, attractiveness and?" Some of the experts, uh, they had specifics. Like, if you want to attract someone, men and women are attracted to slightly different things. Or I should say the masculine and the feminine, perhaps. And, or whatever you want to call it. Because they're looking for different things. The man, the male, the masculine, is looking for signs of fertility. That's, it's like vi- more of a visual thing. And that's why women, the, like the, the makeup industry is massive for women and non-existent for men clothing industry also it's a much bigger industry for women than it is for men so uh, what do men look for men that's what men look for what are women looking for women are looking for um, attractiveness is physical beauty as well but it's also primarily social status that's why you see a lot of women with fat ugly men who have uh, a fat wallet sometimes that's the cliche but what's really going on there is the leader of the tribe the chief the king, the pharaoh, that's the most desirable person in a tribe. And so um, you want to miss your genes with someone who has achieved that status, hoping your offspring will have whatever those qualities are to achieve the, that something like that status. So there's a better chance for survival. But that's kind of clinical. If you want to attract somebody, what should you do? That's a different question. And... There are a couple of very specific things, and there are mistakes that we all make. And one of the biggest mistakes that people make, or the things that you could do, if you want to attract someone, you pay attention to them. That's the number one thing. You listen to them. You make eye contact. You genuinely ask them about their life. That's going to make you seem attractive, more than almost anything else you can do, assuming you've got the appropriate physical beauty and there's a chemical connection. And that's another thing, obviously. There's got to be a chemical connection between two people and you have no control over that there have been many studies done i touch on a couple of them in the in the film and in the book i'll give you one example there's something called the t-shirt study a scientist in switzerland named klaus wedekind did this experiment where he had 40 some men wear a t-shirt for a week and not shower and then th- those dirty T-shirts, he gave it to 40-some women and had them smell the T-shirts and rank them and choose which one is the smelled the most attractive. And they had different opinions about which T-shirt smelled attractive. Once he had that data, he looked for the uh, correlations 
and reasons for why that could be. And what he ultimately discovered is that what they were sensing in the smell, which is like pheromones and body chemistry, was a complementary immune system. We are attracted to someone with, who is different from us on the immune system. There's a scale of like, it's like 150 immune system genes, and you could be somewhere on the spectrum of immune system with different strengths and weaknesses. And we want someone who is different, who has a different immune system from our own, because then the offspring will have the benefit of two parents with different immune systems. So if you, let's say you're on a date with somebody and you, you kiss and you go, ah, it was, he's attractive or she's attractive, but there was no spark. Well, your immune systems might have been too close. Mm. And your body is, through the kiss and the smell, you are evaluating that and you're interpreting that as passion. When you meet somebody and you, there's an immediate spark and it's like, wow, we were just drawn together like two magnets. Oftentimes it's because your, your body, your brain, your subconscious has evaluated that person's genetic uh, component and said, yeah, this is a good mixture or a bad mixture. If it's a good mixture, it's like, yes, I, I can't stay away. I, I want to talk to this person all night, night long. I can't wait to be with them again because mother nature wants us to interact and to reproduce in a way that leads to healthy offspring. We interpret it as passion. Right. And uh, it's in the kiss. Wow, the kiss was amazing. Yeah, and that's so interesting because it, it all happens automatically. I mean, in the whole animal kingdom, I think that's what happens. Um, we don't know it's happening, but when the, the scientists tell us this, it seems so obvious, like you were saying, um, but it's kind of hard to believe that those are that's all happening at the same time as that wonderful, delicious kiss that we have. That first kiss is amazing. Kissing is so important. Yeah. When I kiss you, it gives me yes. like directions all the time. <laughs> it is amazing. Um, and so we're going to get on to the next question, which you really were looking into deep into in your film is why is marriage so hard today compared to in the past? Yeah, that's what that was the crux, uh, the real focal point of my journey. And what I discovered was it is more difficult today. And there are several things going on that are that are dooming us or <laughs> challenging us, making it harder than it used to be. One is that there's a what um, some of the uh, experts call the crisis of choice. There's too much choice. You can now swipe, swipe left and right endlessly, and if it doesn't work out, you it's we're very tempted to just move on quickly and not work it out with somebody. That's one problem or one difficulty. Another is that we now have shared resources, and when you are both in charge of money, resources, property, that requires a different level of conflict resolution and decision making that isn't the case if you're not sharing resources. If you're just having sex or hanging out your partners, but you don't have to make business decisions, it's a lot easier. But today a couple has to make a lot of business decisions. In the old days, that wasn't the case. We lived in a tribal society. We, the, and here's the third part of the problem. Humans evolved on the African savanna and what's called the savanna principle. We are designed to interact with what that environment provided. We are all our feelings, thoughts, needs are designed for that culture. And that culture was a tribal one where everybody shared everything. They shared shelter, food, protection, and a lot of uh, the anthropologists and psychologists, like Chris Ryan argue, they shared sex. Sex was not a proprietary thing the way it is today. Today, we are the owners of our own sexuality. In those days, the tribe owned your sexuality, and Mother Nature actually that's a, prefers that. She prefers a genetic mixing, a wide genetic mixing, to avoid inbreeding, which you get if there's too much like like stringent monogamy like you might see in a royal family where only royals uh, have sex with other royals you have in the possibility of uh, weaker offspring due to inbreeding so in that tribal time and that was 200,000 years ago until about 6,000 years ago the vast majority of human existence we lived in these tribes where everything was shared if you there Chris Fine gives example of they found tribes where this still exists today, or it did when they were uh, looking in like the Amazon or in Mongolia. They, would, they found tribes where they tribal elders and everybody shared everything. 
there was one tribe where they had a word for someone who didn't share their sexuality. And that word loosely translated to stingy with their genitals. <laughs> oh, that person is stingy with their genitals. And it's a bad thing. It's a negative. And if you were that type of person, you'd be ostracized because that's uh, counterproductive. That's antisocial behavior to not share your sex with the tribe. That's very different, obviously, and seems weird to people from our monogamistic society today where monogamy is the rule. And briefly, how did we get to monogamy from this sharing, sharing uh, tribal culture? Six, 10,000 years ago, humans discovered agriculture. And instead of being nomads, searching for food, going here to there and sharing everything, they realized, well, if we stay here, we can grow these five or seven different crops and we don't have to move. That created the idea of ownership, of propriety. This is my land. These are my animals. Men started thinking, my children, my wife, and that thought was followed by the thought, well, since it's mine, I want to make sure that I leave my belongings to my genetic offspring. But how can I do that? How can I be certain that my wife is faithful to just me? Because he's out working in the field of hunting, if he's not practicing what the biologists call mate guarding 24-7, keeping an eye on her, then can't be certain you know it's a uh, mommy's baby daddy's maybe is what uh, mm. a phrase people use now how do you know and the way that this was solved culturally was to invent marriage and marriage was this social fence that was built or created around the sexual behavior of women not men if you look at the ancient uh, religious texts like the old testament you'll notice that Adultery is a sin that women commit, mm -hmm. not men. Mm -hmm. And so the punishment for that sin is against the women and in, in the men, because men can't get pregnant. And right. so it's sort of ironic, this institution of marriage is primarily to enclose women, not men. It's, it's certainly not equal. Right. And so from that, just to put a cap on where monogamy came from, that idea led to some men collecting more wealth than others, and then you had barons and lords and then eventually kings or sultans or pharaohs, and they began collecting women. And they would have, then you had polygamy. You might have a pharaoh or a sultan with 5,000 concubines. But the problem with that is if you've got 5,000 concubines, that means there's 5,000 young men without any women who are very frustrated, and that is not good for society. It creates instability. And at some point, societies realized, okay, we need to make a new rule. It's one man, one woman for everybody, including the aristocracy. And that's where monogamy as a social construct came. And now we practice, not, it's not really monogamy. What we practice is called, it's serial monogamy. Because when you get a new one, you throw out the old mm -hmm. one. In the old days, they would just keep adding to the collection. And even though we practice serial monogamy, there's still a lot of cheating going on. In yeah, today's society, for sure. It, yes, yeah. it's public monogamy, but there's a lot going on underneath. Yeah, absolutely. We're just going to take a quick break and remind everybody again that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're having an amazing discussion all about the human history of marriage. Um, and we're going to continue with the discussion right after this message, so stay tuned. Lube, lube, lube. You know we're always talking about lube and how we use lube every time we play because it makes our sex better, hotter, and longer lasting. Well, we want to make sure you're using lube too. And not just any lube. We all know that there's many types of lube out there. You have to pick wisely. Earlier this year, we discovered a new lube and it's become our go-to favorite. It's Promescent Organic Lube. And wow, what a game changer. For me, the most important aspect is that it's tasteless, because you all know how much I love to suck cock, and I always start off with a handful of lube to get things going, you know what I mean? So it needs to be smooth and silky and tasteless. Mmm, and it feels so good on my clit and pussy too. Yeah, and it keeps us going and going while we keep coming and coming. Mmm, we love that. And it's safe for toys and condoms as well. And we know you want better sex too, so go to thesexylifestyle.com for more information about Promescent Organic Lube along with their full range of other sexual health and wellness products and simply order yours today because great sex matters and we all deserve it. 
All right, this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and now let's get back to talking with director and filmmaker Roger Nygaard all about his uh, documentary, The Truth About Marriage, and why people get married and all the ins and outs about it. So we just had a great little uh, recap of what happened historically about marriage and why marriages have changed over the years, which all kind of makes complete sense now that you think about it. But my question to you is now, do you believe that marriages should last forever? Well, what, forever is a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, let's be realistic. Uh, <laughs> I like one of the experts, uh, a woman I interviewed named Rachel Hope, who wrote a book about co-parenting. She has never been married, and she has children by different fathers who she has not been married with or romantically linked to or inclined to, but she chose men to have been with who would remain fathers and participate in the raising of the children in more of a child partnership. She said that when I asked people to define love, she said that it's really difficult to promise to love someone forever. How can you promise to have a feeling 10 years from now or 20 years from now? I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not an accurate promise. It's more of a hope, mm-hmm. right? But a true promise you can make to someone is, I promise to behave lovingly toward you forever. That's something you can measure is behavior. You can behave lovingly even through a divorce or or separation or difficult times. That's a better promise, I think, than forever. And how do you know? The the, the polyamorous couple I interviewed talked about a daily renegotiation of contract, where to them it was more realistic to evaluate daily What's going on between them and what are their expectations? And it's not like an overt thing where they get out a paper and write a contract. It's just more of a constant ongoing renegotiation. Chris Ryan put it this way. You're not in a relationship with somebody. You're in a series of relationships with someone because they're changing and you're changing constantly. So it's a, the dynamic is, is never, it's not going to stay the same. It's always going to change and you've got to be ready to change in order to, to make the relationship lasts longer, whether it's forever or two days or two weeks. I think that a three-year marriage is still a three-year success or a five-year relationship is still a five-year success or a one-year relationship is a one-year success if you learned what that relationship was there to teach you. Right. So you, you interviewed so many experts. You've mentioned polyamory a few times. We've mentioned swinging. How does alternative lifestyles and open marriages and, and the, the non-traditional, the non-monogamous relationships fit into your research? What did you find out about that? Well, I didn't know a whole lot about the non-traditional relationships. I didn't know much about really relationships at all until I started you know, <laughs> actively learning because nobody pre- prepared me. So I got the books and started reading and uh, as a TV film, as a filmmaker, I worked in television and films, directing and writing and producing and editing. And I was developing a TV show for a network around the idea of a Renaissance fair bar. This group of people that that had this tavern, Oberon's Tavern in Ashland, Oregon. Got to know those people. We shot a pilot. It didn't ultimately get picked up, but I got to know them and became friendly with them. And Oregon is quite a uh, center of polyamory I discovered. A lot of hippies moved there and stayed and brought their culture and it's still there today. Much more open perspective on relationships. One of the couples invited me to their wedding which was held at a fairy convention. And I thought, wow, I've got to go to a fairy convention. This is perfect. I mean, the visuals alone will be, be worth the trip. So I packed up my camera and at first I asked, do you mind if I bring my camera? And no one's ever said no. They're all, everyone's been happy to, to allow me to film. So filmed their wedding, interviewed them at the wedding, and then checked back three years later to see how their relationship had progressed. When they got married, they agreed that they would continue dating other people after they were married and having sex with other people. And I thought, okay, I don't have that, this demographic covered in my film I met them and I, re- I just love them as a couple because they're so high functioning. And I, di- I discovered the more I got to know them, the reason that they're so high functioning as a couple is not necessarily because of sex with people and their polymers. It's because in order to be polyamorous, they 
had to be completely open with each other about who they are before they got married. They knew exactly what they were getting. They knew the rules. They knew what each person expected. So they weren't, there weren't nearly as many uh, surprises and frustrations. Most people, myself included, when you go on a date, you put on this facade. Here's the best version of Roger, and I'm meeting somebody. They're presenting the best version of themselves, and these two facades are meeting. It's a mask, dating a mask. And then over time, let's say you begin a relationship or even get married, it's really hard. It takes a lot of energy to hold that mask up forever. Eventually, it's going to slip, and your partner's going to be surprised or upset. I didn't know you get so angry at, at something unimportant, or I didn't know you're this or that. And, you know, surprise, frustration, anger, arguments, and conflict. Well, if you knew about that about your partner at the beginning, it wouldn't be a surprise at least. You might still be frustrated that, that they have uh, a difficulty with some part of their personality, but at least you knew it getting in. And that's what I learned about polyamory. Uh, one of the many things I learned about is, was from this couple. And I thought that's fascinating. It's so hard to do this, to, to be honest with someone before marriage and to take it to the experts. All the experts agreed on this same subject that if you're thinking of getting married today, anyone who's listening, if you're thinking of getting married, the one thing you can do, according to all the experts, to increase your chances for longevity in a relationship and for happiness in a marriage is to have premarital counseling. And, well, why do we need counseling? Everything's fine. Well, what they found in the research, Ty Tashiro told me this, a psychologist I interviewed, Religious couples do better than non-religious couples in longevity and happiness in relationships. And it's not because that they're religious. They found it's because the religions force them to have premarital counseling. And all this does is it forces you to get to know your partner in ways you might not have gotten to know them because you're asking the tough questions. And in my book, In the Truth About Marriage, to make it easier, I made an addendum where I put a uh, personal priorities checklist where people could with their partner, each, what I recommend and what I learned from these people that what they suggested was each person fills out a questionnaire. What are your priorities in life? And then they exchange their checklists and their priorities and discuss it with the idea of making a mutual priorities checklist. You don't have to agree on everything, but at least you now understand. For example, if you were to rank in order of importance to you, what's more important, your spouse or your parents, your spouse or your children, your spouse or your friends, your spouse, or shopping. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all these, you give them a number, and then you compare your numbers. And ideally, you roughly have a similar idea of what's important. And let me give you an example. Everyone typically will say is, well, my spouse is the most important thing in the world. Okay, is that really the case once you have a child? Mm. If you could had to choose between a child and a spouse, who are you going to choose? We choose, we switch spouses all the, the time, but you can't get a, replace your child. Right. That's a unique creation of your own. So that creates a new dynamic. The power structure shifts, and it's something you've got to renegotiate and get used to. And so at least going in, if you've answered a few questions, and there's, I mean, simple questions like, do you like the bedroom light or dark when you sleep? Do you like the TV on when you're sleeping all night? Honey, I can't sleep unless the TV is on all night long. Well, is that going to be okay with you for an entire lifetime? So getting to know all these things about your partner, particularly the core issues, if you're not in alignment on the core issues, it's going to make it very difficult to stay together for a long period. You know, core issues, you know, religion, politics, uh, abortion, you know, the, the, those hot buttons yeah. are, are, are what are core issues. Now, you got me to, with all that talking right there, you got me to thinking about the relationship that David and I developed together because we went through, uh, of course, our divorces at the same time. The story is that our exes are together, but they both dumped us at the same time. So we're the dumpies. They wanted to get together. So we were actually in the exact same state in our divorces at the same time, and we agreed to support each other through our divorces. And we got to know each other through sad moments and conflict and, and uh, resolving conflict with our 
our ex-spouses together. And that happened over, like, I'm going to say a couple of years where we really got to know each other very well. And really explore and explode our sexuality. Yeah. So we did uh, do a lot. We, we, were, we were fuck buddies right from the beginning. Monkey but, sex. But as friends, we developed our friendship through all of this conflict support that we really got to know who each other was before we became a true couple, which really took a couple of years. And even before we found the lifestyle. Um, so we developed that really good communication and support. And that so when we did find the lifestyle, we already had such a strong relationship that we could talk easily about anything. And that's one of the reasons I think we were very successful in the swinging lifestyle. And that that's also what propagates our success is our in our relationship together, because we learned how to talk about any type of topic, whether it's sexual, whether it's family, whether it's money, whatever it is, we are open and free to talk about it. So just like that couple that you met at the fairy wedding, they already knew who they were, who each other was prior to getting married. David and I, of course, we actually also knew each other very, very well before we got married, which was seven years after that divorce scene. Um, and so, yeah, we there's no surprises. We ha- And again, we do have the toolbox to fix them if something comes up. But I think that's one of the things that um, we we have going for us that we happen to go through these divorces at the same time. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the reasons we got divorced is because we had a very stale and boring sexless marriage. Um, you know, you touch on a few times, you know, stale marriages and you talk on cheating. You know, is cheating part of being married or is that just toxic shit? Well, that's just not telling your partner what you need, but getting it anyway. I mean, you're going to get it anyway. The question is whether you're going to be honest about it or not. Exactly. And the being honest is the way, because that's what the swinging lifestyle is all about. If I need something more from somebody else, uh, I can tell David that I need this. And so we go after it and we get it and we get it together. Whereas with cheating, you're doing it behind the person's back and it's super hurtful and it's secretive. And that's just not, it's the opposite of swinging, which is consensual. Now, when we find people who've been cheating and their marriage doesn't work, we usually say, well, no kidding, right? It's expected. But people do continue to cheat and what they expect not to get caught. What do you think about that, Roger? Well, clearly they're not in control. And none of us really are because we're programmed by our genetics and our upbringing and who we are is kind of set to a great extent. You can either accept who you are and be happier or try to deny what you are. And the more you suppress a behavior or an idea or a thought, the more it's gonna pop up in some other unexpected or unwanted way. How are you gonna deal with that? That's really the question. And the, the best way is to be with someone who accepts you for who you are. That's the secret to happiness, according to the experts, really is, first of all, understanding who and what you are as a species and as a person and then accepting it. And then doing the same for your partner. That's really hard for people. You know, I love you. Change. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, the, <laughs> the old adage, which, you know, people aren't going to change. They might change their behavior to make you stop complaining, but they're going to be resentful of it. And, it, and that's going to lead to other problems <laughs> where it would be easier just to discuss who and what each of you are and uh, eliminate shame and eliminate judgment and be loving and accepting easy to say hard to do yeah yeah absolutely no this is all great stuff we're just going to take another quick break here remind everybody that we are carol and david this is sexy lifestyle and coming up is our favorite segment called great sex matters stay tuned yeah and before we get into great sex matters we want to invite you to join us at hito 2 our favorite place in the world we're going to be there december 19th to 26th Hopefully, uh, when things get back to a little bit more normal or the new normal, and they're going to be celebrating with all their loyal, sexy, and erotic guests with the lowest rates of the year, some great Jamaican food, sexy and erotic entertainment, and of course, their award-winning staff. We haven't been there since January, and we just can't wait to get back to our home away from home. It's going to feel so good to be naked on the beach. Just visit our website, thesexylifestyle.com, to stay informed about all the sexy and open-minded events that are happening in your area and around the world. All righty. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and normally we would go right into our favorite part of the show, which is Great Sex Matters, but our show is one hour, and what we are going to do is we are going to do a part two. So we're going to ask you just to hang on. 
and we are going to go into um, a part two version of this, which you'll have to just click on the next uh, episode in the tree. So um, thank you for being there. Roger, before we go and get on with part two, why don't you just take a minute now and tell everyone how they can find your work online, the website, and where they can buy your book and see the film. Yeah, well, the truthaboutmarriage.com will give you links or my name, Roger Nygaard, N-Y-G-A-R-D.com. You can find my book, The Truth About Marriage, and the, the movie, which is also on Amazon, where you can find uh, uh, my other films as well, The Nature of Existence, my film about car salesmen called Suckers, Trekkies, and, and the sequel, Trekkies 2. And I'm about to start work on Curb Your Enthusiasm Season 11, which will air in 2021. And I just finished work on a documentary series on Showtime called The Comedy Store. Wow, that's all amazing stuff. Thank you so much. And if you've missed any of this information, you just have to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all their information. And you can even contact them if you have a question about their work. And we just want to take a moment to remind everybody about our new partnership with altplayground.net. That's A-L-T, playground.net. And if you're looking for an online open-minded community to find compatible people in your area, you should join altplayground.net. It's a lifestyle site that's expanding to include lots of amazing lifestyle resources that will connect you with other like-minded folks. And remember to stay sexy and stay healthy and follow all the suggested protocols issued by your local health authorities. Wash your hands, avoid touching your face and practice social distancing, and please wear a mask. And of course, continue to listen to our show and visit our website, thesexylifestyle.com. And if you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Okay, like I said, that's it for part one. Uh, thank you, Roger, for all that great information. But don't go anywhere, Roger. You stay put. Our listeners, we're going to ask you to stay put as well because we are going to get into great sex matters in part two of The Truth About Marriage with Roger Nygaard. And remember, stay safe and, of course, stay sexy. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 